Welcome back to Small Business Big Lessons, a Buffer original series. My name is Ash Reed, Head of Content at Buffer, and throughout this series, we're going on a journey to understand how great work happens. We're telling stories of unique businesses and meeting the incredible people behind them, examining how they're doing things differently and what we can learn from their journeys. In recent years, sustainability has become a buzzword. It's almost inescapable, and for good reason. Using greener materials and manufacturing processes, as well as changing consumer behavior, are vital steps to tackling the climate crisis. But how do we actually work towards a circular economy that enables the materials we've already created to have a second lease of life? Should this be left to the world of big business, or can small businesses play a part? Well, according to the Small Business Administration, businesses with fewer than 100 employees account for 98.2% of all US businesses. And those with fewer than 20 employees account for 89% of all businesses in the country. So if we're going to effectively tackle climate change and create a more sustainable economy, small businesses will play an essential part. Let's hear from a small business that's driving change and redefining an industry. My name is Pentilla. I'm one of the co-founders of Spy Design. We're a sustainable furniture company really trying to make sustainable living more accessible to more people. Pantilla met Caitlin Ellen while studying at Columbia, and the pair instantly bonded over their shared values around sustainability. So after Caitlin and I graduated from college, you know, we were young professionals living in New York and we're really increasingly trying to implement sustainable practices into our everyday lives. But when it came to furnishing our spaces, we found that it was just really difficult to find pieces that were not only sustainable, but also affordable, aligned with our aesthetic preferences and convenient. I definitely say that we're more inclined than the majority of people to sacrifice on those other values in the name of sustainability. But at the end of the day, we realized that for most people, if the pieces or products aren't also aesthetically pleasing, affordable, convenient, then sustainability doesn't really matter for them. And so we kind of realized that you can't really ask people to sacrifice on those things if you really want to make an impact. And so we recognize that a growing portion of our generation and future generations really care about that and want to make purchasing decisions based off of that. But there weren't really a lot of options available to them. So that was kind of the inception for the idea behind Sabai. Due to the rise of fast furniture over the past several decades, the furniture industry has become a major contributor to material waste globally. The sheer volume of substances used in producing something like a sofa or a bed, combined with the diversity of materials, means that the vast majority of furniture is not recycled. It's definitely a huge impact, which I think you can pretty easily imagine given the size of furniture products generally and the fact that everyone needs furniture to some extent. So not only do a ton of valuable resources go into making these products, but at the same time, Every year, over 9 million tons of furniture waste ends up in landfills. At the same time, a lot of furniture products include toxic materials and chemicals that off-gas and end up in our bloodstream, so are also dangerous to people generally. And then within the affordable furniture space especially, a lot of furniture comes from abroad, so with that comes a lot of transportation costs and impact on that end. I think just looking at the furniture industry generally right now, compared to older generations where, you know, people were buying furniture pieces that they were thinking they were going to keep for 30 plus years or even pass on to other generations. 
that's not really the way our generation thinks. And I think that the furniture industry hasn't really adapted to that mindset until recently. You can see that with the wave of rental furniture and things like that, which are great solutions, but not necessarily, you know, the appropriate solution for everyone. I think that a growing number of individuals definitely have an idea about the impact that the furniture industry has on the environment, but we definitely encounter a wide range of consumers. Some consumers really, you know, surprise us and excite us with how much information and how much knowledge they have on the subject and really dig in on those questions about all our materials and all the different things that we're trying to do. But I would say that there's definitely a lot of education that can still be done around this. And that's kind of something that we've taken upon ourselves to do in terms of educate our community to teach them about, you know, the different things that they can do to improve or lessen their impact on the environment, and especially with respect to their furniture purchases generally. When setting up Sabai, Pantilla and Caitlin examined every material and process used in designing, manufacturing and delivering their products to ensure that sustainability and lessening their impact on the environment takes priority at every step. What we've tried to do is, with our consultants, is look at the whole life cycle of the product. So understand not only, um, you know, is this material a natural material, but is it biodegradable or if it's synthetic and it does it use less resources than a natural material might, but then also thinking about the end of life cycle. So really going through with each material, each phase of the life cycle, and not just with respect to the energy used or the water used, but also the impact down the line. Pantilla's background gave her a unique perspective on how to approach sustainability. And as a result of being exposed to eco-friendly approaches to business at a young age, she could easily see how these practices could be applied to different kinds of businesses. My family's from Thailand and so I grew up there and my um, parents, especially my mom, started and ran some eco lodges in Thailand. So I kind of grew up around that type of thinking and when you think about sustainability, generally closed loop solutions are kind of a natural part of that, given the limited amount of resources that we have and the impact that waste and pollution has on our surroundings generally. To get a wider view on the circular economy, how it works and how it's different from the linear model that has been in place for so long, we spoke to an expert who supports and guides businesses looking to adapt to a circular business model. My name is Kasper Fandanjots. I am a project manager for circular business innovation at Circle Economy. Circle Economy is an impact organization based out of Amsterdam in the Netherlands. With a group of around 50 people there, we're driven towards the mission of accelerating the transition towards a circular economy. So in a linear economy, usually we extract materials from the earth through, for example, oil extraction or mining. We then process those materials and turn it into products that we then use. And after they've been used, they often end up as waste that piles up in our landfills or even ends up incinerated. So what is the circular economy? I think the best way to think about it is really an approach to completely rethink our economy. At the core of it is the notion of replacing the end of life or the concept of waste. And we replace it with a range of strategies aimed at reducing material use and keeping what we already have in use for as long as possible. So that includes reusing products, recycling and recovering materials in uh, yeah, production and distribution and consumption processes. And why um, do we do this? So that's important to mention as well. The circular economy is really thought of as a means 
to achieve sustainable development. So aimed towards solving some of our core environmental challenges, such as climate change, biodiversity loss, and uh, pollution of air, soil, and water. If you think about it in practice, take for instance, a furniture product. So let's say a, a desk or a chair. In, in a linear economy, that would just be made from materials such as wood or um, steel or other metals that will be extracted from our earth or also from forests that will then be processed and ultimately manufactured into our desk or our chair. Those usually end up as waste. Parts of it will be recycled. We've gotten quite good at recycling metals, for instance, but a lot of the wood probably will end up incinerated and therefore the materials lost. If you think about it in a circular economy, so first of all, the point would be, can we produce all of this from secondary materials that are already in the economy? Or if we look at wood, how can we source wood that is really responsibly and sustainably grown? And then once we go to the next stage, we think about how can this desk be designed to last as long as possible, to be repairable. And ultimately, once it still reaches the end of life, that we can disassemble it into its different components. In terms of how we think about our products and how we're trying to set our products up to be circular, sustainability really comes into each and every part of that process. So it goes into the materials, making sure that our materials are either natural, non-toxic, biodegradable, or recyclable or recycled. So that's part one of that. And then I think second of all, with respect to the manufacturing, we work with a family-owned, minority-owned manufacturer based in High Point, North Carolina. So making sure that we have an ethical and domestic supply chain there and are shipping straight out of there and limiting the amount of transportation that's involved. We've also designed our products as thoughtfully as possible in terms of First of all, our products arrive in pieces and are then assembled by customers. And so that not only offers advantages in terms of convenience and cost with respect to shipping, but also thinking about the waste that those products could potentially generate. And so making sure that if you know a leg gets chewed up or a specific part of our products gets damaged, that those parts can be replaced rather than having to replace entire piece. And so setting our products up to be amenable to that type of reviving. Clearly, Sabai's approach to sustainability doesn't end when the products leave the factory. They're thinking about the entire life cycle of a product and how they can make it easy for consumers to make better environmental choices further down the line. We recently launched what we're calling the Sabai Standard. And so it's kind of the umbrella under which our different sustainability initiatives live. And so one of the first two programs under that was the Repair Don't Replace program, which feeds into what I was saying earlier in terms of offering our customers different parts of our products and the ability to purchase each of those pieces individually if they need to switch something out so that they don't actually waste an entire product. And then the second program that we have under that is called Sabai Revive, which was actually the first closed loop furniture program in the United States. With the Sabai Revive program, Sabai will buy back a couch and then the pieces that are in good, clean condition will then be available for sale on the Sabai Revive website. Sofas on Sabai Revive will be sold at a discount and any that are not resold after three months will be donated. It's been really amazing to see the amount of support and excitement that people have for these programs. I think that it, one, generates a lot of trust in us from our community, them seeing us really make the effort to try to make these programs available to them. It's definitely not easy and it definitely requires a lot of focus internally to decide that we're going to do this. And so I think our customers 
really appreciate that and are really excited about these different offerings. I think it's really great to see that when you make these things available to people, they're actually very excited to participate in them. One thing that's been really exciting to see is with our Sabai Revive products, the products that are actually bought back and then relisted as secondhand products, 100% of those products sell out within 72 hours of being listed. So we definitely see that people are really excited to buy secondhand products, which is great because like I said, a huge part of Sabai and what we try to do is to make sustainability accessible. And you know, as accessible as we try to be and are, we realize that, you know, a thousand dollar couch is not accessible to everyone. So it's also really exciting to be able to offer those types of pieces at a lower price point as well. Customers' positive responses to Sabai's programs speak to the growing awareness of environmental issues among consumers. Casper sees this as a wider trend that is affecting not only the furniture industry, but also the food that we eat and the clothes that we wear. As someone who works on this topic on a day-to-day -day basis, I feel everyone's uh, talking about it and I feel everyone's changing their mind towards becoming more sustainable consumers. I do think there is a shift if you just look into your supermarket, how the meat alternative section is expanding in relationship to the meat section. Um, I find that an interesting example of how that transition is kind of happening. Also with, within fashion, for instance, you would see a lot of brands positioning themselves publicly towards reducing impact and rethinking their value chains. So I very much think there's a, a transition ongoing here. But the complicated nature and scale of the issue means that consumers are vulnerable to greenwashing, where companies will exaggerate or otherwise obscure the facts around how sustainable or environmentally friendly their products are in order to make them more appealing to customers that want to make better choices sustainability is hugely complex and always a contentious issue and for a long time I think brands have used the, the fact that nobody really knows what is sustainable how can we measure sustainability across different dimensions or aspects of it and made claims that were maybe not entirely true or that were overstating reality or that were simply lacking proof but that's changing a bit because we are reporting much more we we have the ability to also provide much more insights and we have legislation also asking for that also consumers are, i think researching this stuff much more and even if it's not every consumer that does there's a threat for every brand engaging in greenwashing that that will be uncovered by some activist group or so and that will result in some kind of backlash you can make an effort in improving your existing product to be more sustainable, to be less impactful, but it may still be very unsustainable compared to the absolute ideal case. So a brand that wants to really also communicate that it's on this journey, that it's making progress, they may still be far less sustainable than other items or brands leading the field on this. So then of course you can immediately see how it also becomes contentious. And I think yeah, it's interesting to also take a bit of that polarization out and, and encourage everyone to be on that journey and also really highlight those examples that are kind of the shining stars that we can all orientate ourselves to. Sabai's meticulous approach and deep commitment to environmental issues means they are acutely aware of the issues surrounding communication with customers when it comes to sustainability. Their solution is to share more and be as transparent as possible with customers, which further builds trust. The term sustainability is something that we 
honestly wrestle with in terms of using it to apply to so many different things that we do and seeing so many people use that term with respect to things that they do that are so different from what we do. Purchasing one thing and planting a tree in response to that is sustainable in some respect, but there's so much more to be done and there's so many other ways that you can be sustainable and limit the impact of your products. I touched on the different, you know, all the different areas in which we try to be sustainable. And so, you know, we could do one of those things and say that our products are sustainable. And I think we're also trying to come up with the language to describe how comprehensively sustainable we're trying to be. We've definitely tried to educate our consumers as much as possible with respect to all the different areas of sustainability and make sure that they understand the different areas that they can look into with respect to not just their furniture products, but all products generally. Bringing our customers along that journey, I think people really appreciate that and it garners a lot of trust in our consumers. The amount of transparency that we have with our customers definitely generates a lot of trust because they understand that we are doing things that are new, that are not necessarily, that don't necessarily have a roadmap for them, and that we're trying things to improve the impact of our products. And so that generates so much goodwill within our community and gives us a lot of space to be honest with them about the things that we're trying and the things that we're trying to improve or do more. And people have been super receptive to that, which I think has been really great to see. Sabai's great customer communication goes both ways. Not only are they telling their audience about the work they're doing to improve the sustainability of their furniture, but they're also listening to what customers are saying back to them. What they hear from customers informs design decisions and the types of products they're making. We definitely listen to our customers a lot. Um, that plays into both the product design phase of things, but also the sustainability aspect. So with respect to product design, we do a lot of polls, a lot of survey work to make sure that we're designing and producing products that people actually want. Because at the end of the day, if we're producing things that people don't want, that's waste in another way. So in terms of the love seat that we recently launched, we did a lot of research and polls around what sizes work best for our consumers and their homes. And so when we first launched, we launched just with a standard three-seater sofa, sectional and ottoman. Um, but we always knew we wanted to expand that product line. So understanding what was most important to people next. And um, it was definitely overwhelmingly a love seat. That's been a really exciting thing to see just how excited people are to see more products from us. And so that makes it a little bit easier on our side in terms of planning out, you know, what we want to launch next and what we want to give our customers next. Although issues around sustainability are incredibly complex and a consensus around solutions is yet to be formed, one thing is for sure, we can't carry on the way that we have been. But where does change come from and what does it look like? I think that change is for sure coming from the increased urgency that we see within the environmental challenges that we faced. There's immense pressure building up on governments and that's of course also reflected in how a lot of societies react to it. So a lot of activism building. And from this pressure, we can then also see that that translates immediately to those industries that are most responsible for these environmental challenges scrambling for solutions. And then the concept of a circular economy is, is a really powerful one because it doesn't just say we need to stop everything we do and just reduce everything that we do, avoid any impact. We just need to rethink how we do it. And then there might be a way to actually still create value or even grow the value that is created, but at a much lower material impact that also then translates to much lower environmental impacts. 
Pantilla recognizes that small businesses have a unique role to play in changing the way business is done and can act as role models to show that change is possible. I think that small businesses definitely have a huge opportunity there to leverage their communities because I think small businesses have a lot of community support and trust there and to really leverage that to understand their needs. It's also sometimes not easier, but small businesses are more set up to operate within communities and localize that type of circular economy. So I think that's a huge opportunity that small businesses can take advantage of. And I think that once consumers see that, you know, even small businesses are able to focus on this and make this a priority, it just becomes more clear that they can demand that from other companies. First of all, I'd really want to extend a warm and huge invitation to all small businesses because they are the core, the engine of our economy. So really, definitely uh, small businesses are at the core of this transition. And I think also for small businesses, it's incredibly important to recognize the opportunity in this. So this is not just some ploy for corporate social responsibility or charity. This is really the opportunity to transform their business models to respond to defining challenges of our time. So without a doubt, sooner or later, that's also where more and more value can be created. The first step for sure is to get an understanding of how does it apply to your industry? How can you get inspired? And what are easy, low-hanging fruits that you can also get started on right away? And I think to then think about it a bit more systematically or holistically, it's really interesting also for small businesses to try to, as much as possible, get your numbers right on this. So really see what type of data is already available. What can you get your hands on in terms of understanding better what are the material and energy flows within your value chain that you can exert influence on or that you actually even have under your own control. And then start tracking how are you potentially reducing your footprint by applying these principles or shifting to sustainably sourced uh, renewable materials and applying different strategies of repairing new business models. And I think trying to then track that also in the numbers will, will make it quite clear how, how you're progressing in this. I think it's also important to recognize that no small businesses alone, that this is a transition of value chains. So also really uh, reaching out to your suppliers, to your customers and engaging them in this transition, making sure that you're not doing this by yourself and also then asking for the support where it's needed. We are definitely trying to encourage other companies within their industry to take a more holistic approach and holistic responsibility for the impact of their products. And not everyone's going to be perfect, but I think that our approach and what we've tried to do is be as transparent as possible. And hopefully that understanding that you know, consumers expect a lot from us, but at the same time understand that we're all learning and we're all doing our best. And so I think we're trying to encourage companies to not be scared, to be transparent and to try, because I think that's all people are really asking for is for companies to care and to try. And so that's really what we're trying to encourage people to do. It's time for change. It's time to recognize that sustainability is an essential business practice, and it's time for businesses of all sizes to step up and start taking the lead. Sustainability is becoming a standard in business and something consumers are beginning to expect. And by taking steps, no matter how big or small, towards becoming a more sustainable business, you can help your business grow and encourage a safer home and future for us all.
This episode of Small Business Big Lessons was written by me, Ash Reed. Script edited by my teammate, Ariel Tannenbaum, and produced by Rowan Bishop at Message Heard. We're making this podcast because we believe in a different way to do work. And we want to share the stories of the businesses inspiring us. We also share our own story transparently over at buffer.com forward slash open. If this episode has inspired you or is helping you think about building your business in new ways, we'd love to hear from you. Tweet us at Buffer, head to Apple Podcasts to leave us a review and be sure to subscribe.